parent with a wayward child, the couple whose marriage is in jeopardy. What do all these people need to hear? Don't give up. That's the message we find in Hebrews chapter 12 and chapter 11. We're in this series, Don't Give Up, and if you're just checking in with us, this is your first week here, uh, we want you to understand that the, we preach in series usually so that you can get a big idea, a main idea, and this series, as you've already seen in the titling uh, video, is Don't Give Up, that we face obstacles in this race. Um, sometimes we want sympathy, and we really need strength. Sometimes when we're facing an obstacle, difficulty in life, we want uh, compassion, but what we really need is courage. And so in this series, we've been looking at our key scripture, which is Hebrews chapter 12, 1 through 3, and we'll get there in a little bit. Uh, but this is a picture of my wife and I and our little buddy Austin. Uh, Austin wanted to spend some time with us, so we uh, took him out to run in this uh, Color Me Rad 5K. Any runners... I know we got a couple in here. Raise your hand. Don't be embarrassed. So there's one. I knew we had one. I know Sarah's in the back. She's not raising her hand. Ben, Courtney, guys, color me rad. Yeah. Okay. So we got. So so some people don't understand what this race is. It's a. It's usually a benefit. Uh, well, there are always benefit races, but along the way there are water stations. But as you get the water, you also get pelted by these little bags of flour that are colored, and so you start out with a white T-shirt, and that we're finished the race. And you're anything but white. You're are all kinds of colors of, the, uh, of, of, of imagination. And so, so anyway, uh, we, we began this race and uh, we were trying to pump Austin up. And I think we got started uh, about 35 feet into this 5K race. And Austin didn't want to run anymore. No, I mean, like he just stopped. He like sat down on the sidewalk. He was done. He says, I don't run. And, uh, and so Marie's like, you can do this, Austin, and she's encouraging him, and so we kept this up for a little while. Finally, uh, we come to that first station where you get pelted with things, and somebody throws one of these things at Austin, and he did not like it. Uh, he had some words for that person, and they were like, woo! So he, every time he saw these little bags of flour coming, he, he was upset. But uh, Marie finally let me go. I finished the course, and I waited for them. And I waited for them, and I waited for them, and they weren't the last. They were next to the last. Here they come. It was the longest 5K Marie had ever been on, and it certainly was for Austin. The point of the story is this, that Austin had given up soon after he started. This, this race, he, he, it, was, it, was, it was agonizing for him. It didn't know what he, it's not what he wanted to do. And, 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 and Marie stayed right with him, literally step by step. And sometimes dragging him. And so that's, that's a lot what happens in our life, our Christian life. Sometimes we're the person being drug along, right? I remember Dennis Tucker preaching a sermon here one time. When he was growing up, he had a drug problem. He was drugged to church every Sunday and Wednesday and Sunday night, right? And so, so you get it, like sometimes we're, we, we get drugged to church or we get drugged to the Lord because, you know, we need that kind of encouragement. But a lot of times, you know, it's just, it's just staying with people, staying in community, so they'll finish the race because this is the most important journey 
that anyone decides to go on, and that is following Jesus. Now, Hebrews 12.1 says, stay in the fight or stay in the race. Uh, a portion out of verse 1 says, run the race set before us. Run with endurance the race set before us. So the word race in Greek or fight is agnon. So race or fight in the Greek language is agnon. And we see Paul use the same word in 1 Timothy 6.12 where he says, fight the good fight. Agnon, the good agnon of faith. And, and so you know where, what, what English word we get from the Greek word agnon? Say it. Agony, right, right. So, so, and if you've ever run, you know there's agony in running. I mean, there's, you know, I think of that Wild Wilder Sports, that old intro, you know, the agony of defeat, and the guy's like, oh, it's terrible. Coming off the end of the, the ski jump, you know, and uh, can I get, is anybody like, come on, come on. I go, yeah, yeah, I remember that, right? All right, come on, wake up, wake up. So, uh, so there's this, this, this fight that we're, we're in, this race. It's, it's, it's agonizing. It's difficult. Some people believe just because they sign up with Jesus, that ends the agony. No, no. Everybody has problems. Those who believe in God and those who don't believe in God. Those who don't believe in God, those who don't walk with Jesus, they have similar problems as those who do. Those who don't walk with Jesus, their problems are met by their own strength. They have to figure it all out. They have to figure out the financial problems, the relationship problems, the death thing. They have to figure all that out on their own. The guilt, the shame, they have to figure that all out on their own. We, who are believers, we have similar problems, right? Some of our own making, some, of, some are brought against us, but, but we have outside help who lives within us. You witness a baptism today. John has within him the heavy lifting ability of the Holy Spirit, right? And so, so we, have, we have a race to fight, but we're, we're not alone. And we're fighting a good fight. We're staying in the race. We're, we're going to run with endurance. And so the whole point uh, of this series is to never give up. And so some of you, I know you've come here today and you've probably got some problems. Maybe they're problems no one knows about. They're just an internal thing. It's some depression. It's some struggle. It's, I don't know what it is. The Lord does. All of us have difficulties we're walking through. Some of you are right in the middle of some of the most difficult races. Now, obstacles confirm you're in the race. So, like, going back to that first illustration with Marie, Austin, and I, we could have gone, walked from the starting line, just went across the street, and then went to the finish line and skipped the whole race. But we didn't run the race. We were liars, right? We would have been, we would have been presenting a falsehood that we actually ran the course. Uh, it's difficult to follow Jesus. It's a challenge to follow Jesus. Obstacles confirm that you're trying to work through the challenges of being faithful, of being holy, of trying to imitate Jesus in your speech, your finances, your, your relationships. You're trying to be like Christ in every facet of your life. That's what we call discipleship. And it's easy to follow the herd, right? Jesus said in Matthew seven thirteen, enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. Uh, there's this narrow gate apparently on the outside of Jerusalem city proper. 
and it was difficult to enter and you had to unload your pack mule or your camel or whatever it was to get through that gate. And Jesus says, you have to enter. If you're going to follow me, it's like entering that narrow gate. The way is broad that leads to destruction. If you want to go the broad way, you have your own opinion on everything. Your own opinion on sexuality, marriage, abortion. Uh, you have your own opinion about like relationships. You, you have your own opinion about you know, what comes after death. You have your own opinion. about You just make it up. You adopt someone else's. You know, it sounds kind of good to me. Well, it's kind of popular, so that's the way I'm going. I'm just going to choose that way. That's easy, right? Nobody gets upset at you. Nobody calls you out. Nobody challenges your belief in God. Like, that's, that, that, that's a way easier way to live for a while, right? It's easy to follow the broad way for a while. I mean, sin is fun for a while, it, 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 for a little while, it's easy to go that way, but there are consequences. Now, the consequences of the Broadway is death. The consequences of following Jesus is life. And that's, that's really what Jesus says. If you don't have me in you, if you're not following me, you have no life in you. Now, as we study Scripture, we, we see there are people who, who run the race with faithfulness. It's not that they're right all the time. But when they face obstacles, they face it with God's strength. Nehemiah is one of these examples that we're going to look at. He's, he, his story's in the Old Testament. So it's, it's in that first half of the Bible we, uh, we call the Old Testament. His story comes at a very troubling time that Israel was facing. You see, in 587 B.C., Israel was conquered by a kingdom called Babylon. And the Babylonians took the uh, Israelites and carried them off to cap their capital city. Uh, the Babylonian Empire falls to another world empire that's rising called the Medo-Persian Empire. And this is where we find Nehemiah. He's living in the capital city of the Persian Empire called Susa. Now, um, he lives here and he serves the king. He's a cupbearer for the king. So essentially what he does is he's a wine taster and a food taster. And if there's poison uh, in that food or wine, he, he finds out. And I don't know what the life expectancy was of a cupbearer for the king, but he's still living at this time. So apparently he's really good at it and not dying from it. But uh, the king obviously trusts him. Now, Nehemiah, living in Susa, has never been to his homeland Jerusalem. He's never been there. He's grown up in the Persian Empire. He's almost a thousand miles, 936 some miles away from Jerusalem. He's never been there. And so uh, here's what we read. Uh, he hears about uh, the, the fact that Jerusalem is destroyed. It says, when he heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned and fasted and prayed to God of heaven. Now, what did he hear? He heard that Jerusalem's walls were broken that it was being ransacked on a regular basis by marauders that lived in that area. The temple uh, reconstruction of the temple had, had come to a stop. There was all kinds of problems in his hometown, and he was distressed by that. And he becomes so distressed by that, he begins to put on sackcloth and ashes and mourn and, and pray to the God of heaven that somehow something would be done about his homeland city, that somehow something could be, uh, could be this, this obstacle, if you will, could be repaired, that God would move in his life and in the lives of his brethren to do something about that. So the first obstacle he faces is, 
is indifference. He could have been like the rest of his brethren and not cared. And then the second obstacle he faces is that can he do anything about it? Um, so these two big obstacles, indifference and insufficiency, are, are different, but they are related. By that I mean one kind of goes with the other. Psychologi- uh, psychologists call this the bystander effect. It's when people observe something that's wrong and choose to do nothing about it. So there was a case not too long ago in the media of a woman who was being attacked by a person and there were three bystanders watching this attack occur right in front of them and they didn't call the law, they didn't step in to help, they got their cell phones out and recorded it. That's what they did. It's a bystander effect. That's when people, you know, well it sounds like this. They say it's not my job, you know, it's a cop's job or whatever. I'm not qualified, I might get sued, I'm too old, I'm too young, I'm not smart enough, I don't have the resources. These This is what indifference and insufficiency sounds like in our language. And so sometimes people get stopped by that. Certainly, Nehemiah's brethren, the other Jews that lived in Susa, had become indifferent or they felt like they could not contribute to any of the repair that was needed to take place in Jerusalem. They had accepted that their city was broken and would never be fixed. A lot of times... We could say that about a lot of people in the United States, right? Like Christians or non-Christians, like, well, this is the way it is. Like, you know, these, these, these are the problems of our community. And, and there were these glory days we once had. But, you know, years ago, we began to pray for employment for our community. You know what's happened? Jobs have come back to our community. I, I mean, I know the politicians take credit for it, but the credit goes to the Lord. The Lord is bringing these good things to take place. This is the Lord's work. And, and he's able to, to, to answer prayer if we'll ask, right? If we'll pray. And so uh, for Nehemiah, there are many people around him that had accepted that Jerusalem was just going to be destroyed. But, but he immediately faces this obstacle of indifference by, by saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something. I'm going to start praying. And maybe there's something the Lord can do through me. So he's a thousand miles away. He has no building skills. And yet he wants to do something about the problem. One of the ways you know you're running the race God has marked out for you is that you realize you're dependent upon his power and his provision. You can try to live this life completely on your own, in your own wisdom, in your own thinking. You know, I'll surround myself with my peers, my friends, and, and, and I, got my, I got my clique, I got my group, and we're going to handle this on our own. And like, you know, this is how I do life. I don't ask for help, you know. Well, eventually you're going to run into some obstacle that you, you have to have outside help for. And there are plenty that I could list. But the point is that when we choose to follow and do what God has called us to do, He will provide the power and the provision for what we need. Someone might say, some parent might say, there's no way I can raise a child without God's power and provision. They're they're exactly right. There is no way any parent can raise their child in the way that they should be raised without the help of the Lord. There's no way we can work through this conflict in our marriage That's right. God is the one who brings the reconciliation spirit between two people who are at odds. God is the one that raises up an awareness of what what we've done wrong and convicts us. God is the one that that steps into our conflict. 
There's no way I can help this person without God's power. Right. We all have friends. We all have family members. We all have work co-workers and, and, and that, that maybe are going through something way beyond our ability to deal with. And, and, and we know it. And like, man, I could help this person if God is on my side. And so Nehemiah knows full well that, that, that he has to have God's help in a huge way if anything is going to be repaired in Jerusalem. And so um, he doesn't have a uh, he doesn't have the position of power and resources, but he works for one who does. And so how does he overcome this obstacle? He begins with prayer. Here's his part of his prayer. O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commandments, listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying night and day for your people Israel. I confess that we have sinned against you. Please Remember, this is part of his prayer. Actually, the book of Nehemiah is almost like a prayer journal where he's recording what he's praying and what he's thinking and what's taking place. And so by the time we get to from chapter 1 to chapter 2, which we're about to go to, four months have passed. And here's what I'm trying to say. Nehemiah prays four months. Four months. He's waiting for God to move. It seems like an eternity, doesn't it? I know it seems like an eternity because I've watched you in front of me going through the McDonald's drive through line. And when you get upset, it's taking too long. People are like, you know, inching their car up, beeping their horn, rude to... I mean, I've seen that happen. I mean, I literally haven't saw you as individuals, but I've watched it. I know how patient we are. We're not very patient people. And, and so waiting on God can seem like an eternity, but it teaches us things. It teaches us that He's the one who can actually do something. It teaches us that by waiting on Him... He really understands that we're serious, that we want his help, right? Like we just keep petitioning. Oh, you really are serious about wanting my help. And so Nehemiah, he understands prayer is real work. People are like, well, why pray? Well, do you, do you understand that that's where God begins working in our lives? So you have to have a, a war room. Remember the movie War Room? Some of you might remember that where that woman had a space, a closet in her house, and she was praying for certain people. And, and every day she would go to that place and pray for these, for these situations and these people. And it was her war room where she was doing battle with evil. Prayer is real work. Jesus prayed so hard that he sweat drops of blood. I'd say, that's, I, I mean, I was out working in the yard yesterday. I, I didn't sweat drops of blood, so I wasn't working as hard as Jesus' prayers. That's what I'm trying to say is like, Prayer is real work. It requires patience. It requires, you have to be intentional about it. You have to set time aside for it. Uh, embrace every obstacle in prayer first. Here's what we like to do. We have a prayer, and so we call mom, or we call our friend, or we try to begin to figure out how we're going to fix it. We should pray first, like Nehemiah, he teaches, Pray first and keep praying. Uh, start with prayer. Um, here's a breakdown of his prayer in categories. He, he begins with worship. He says, God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love. And then he makes a request. Look down and see. And then he gives a confession. We have sinned. And then he calls back to his remembrance, really. Remember what you told your servant Moses? That's a reference to the Exodus. And the Ten Commandments, where God laid down the terms for covenant 
with God's people. And he said, if you want to have a relationship with me that's life-giving, here are the boundaries, here are the rules, here are the do's and don'ts. Here's what we need to have a life-giving relationship. And so this is what Nehemiah is doing. He says he's remembering God's faithfulness. It gives him perspective. We are tempted when we come to worship and we have a big problem in our life to try to find somebody and, and, and pour out all our problems on them. That's not where you begin. Sunday morning is a place for worship first. Before you begin to unload all your problems on someone else, start with unloading them on God. He's actually the one that can do something about it. Come to worship and tell God what is going on. Recognize that He's the creator and sustainer of life. He's the redeemer of your soul. Recognize. This is where it begins. It begins with worship. Then make your request to God. And confess your sins. We're all guilty of certain sins. And then remember what God has done in His Scripture. Remember what He did through Moses. Hebrews chapter 11, we call the hero chapters because it's all these examples. What God had done great things through people who weren't even perfect. And so remember what God has done. And so you might be coming to worship and saying something like, God, there's no peace in my home. I'm constantly fighting with my spouse. My kids are at odds with one another. But I remember in Mark chapter 4 how you calmed the storm with one word. Peace, you said. Uh, Whatever task that lies before you, ask God for help first. Yesterday, no, Friday, yeah, Friday, Uh, My wife and I had purchased this awning because the back of our house is constantly in the sun and you can't sit out there unless you have some kind of covering. And so we broke down and bought this awning and and I'm one of these guys that's like, you know, go big or go home, right, kind of guy. So I was like, let's get an 18 foot one, right? And I had no idea how much it weighed, but it was incredibly heavy. And, uh, and so I went and got my neighbors, uh, went and got Bill and Richard and my wife. And so we got this thing laying there and we've got to lift this thing straight up in the air, nine feet. And I don't know how much it weighs, but it's probably, I'm going to give you a preacher count. All right. It's between one and a thousand pounds. All right. So (laughs) how many came to church last Sunday between one and a thousand. So that's how we count. But, but (laughs) what I'm trying to say is when we went to lift this thing, it, 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 it strained all of us. Now, before we picked it up, Richard, he starts praying Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know, so he's pumping himself up. with this. And my wife, you know, Pentecostal wife, she's over there. She's got her hands up in the air. And she's like, Lord, give us the strength to lift this up. And, and Bill and I, we're the least spiritual. We're on the ends. And we're just like, this is going to kill us. But, and, but, but it didn't. And so anyway, we lift this thing here. We finally get it up there. But I was, I was reminded of the fact, thinking about this message, that, that that's the attitude to have. If you get in a pattern of praying before you have a challenging thing to do, it sets up a rhythm in your life, a discipline in your life, that you are requesting God's help. It may be physical, it may be mental, it might be, it might be some type of deep spiritual encouragement you need. It might be, you know, I don't know what it is, but, but if you ask God first and ask Him often, He answers prayer. So pray, pray to Him. Um, now, getting back to Nehemiah's story, 
Nehemiah's been praying four months, right? He's been fasting and praying. And his king, his boss, recognizes that his countenance has fallen, that he looks sad, that he looks concerned and distraught. And so uh, the king asks him, what's the matter? So the king asked me, why are you looking so sad? Why don't you look, why, why do you, uh, you look, you, you don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled, he says. Then I was terrified and I replied, long live the king, because <laughs> I don't want to die in your presence. How, how can I not be sad, he says, for the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins and the gates have been destroyed by the fire. The king asked, well, how can I help you? Now, he wasn't expecting that, but... Apparently, the king loves him enough, respects him enough, sees that he, he can help. And Nehemiah is like, I'm so glad you asked. And so Nehemiah has been patient for four months praying, and God answers his prayer through the most powerful man alive. Isn't that amazing? This is the, this is the biggest king on, on the campus of the world at the time. And, and he says, what do you want? And so he, he tells him what he wants. And so he receives... Letters of authorization that he can do this work in Jerusalem from the, from the world's superpower. He receives all the resources that he needs. And he even receives an armed escort to go there and do it. I'd say he got what he wanted. And, and, and by, by going to Jerusalem, he comes there and he's, he, he's going to go after rebuilding this wall and restoring the broken city of his homeland. Now, <clears throat> there's another obstacle that's going to meet him immediately right when he gets there. Jerusalem is surrounded by marauder bands that like the fact that Jerusalem is no longer a concern of theirs, and they're, and they're the ones who were uh, controlling the area for their own profit. And this guy, Sanballat, is the governor of Samaria. So we read in Nehemiah 4, 1 through 2, Sanballat was very angry when he learned that they were rebuilding the wall. He flew into a rage and mocked the Jews, saying in front of his friends and the Samarian officers, what does this poor bunch of feeble Jews think they're doing? Do they think they can build a wall in a single day by just offering a few sacrifices? Do they actually think they can make something of stones from a rubbish heap and charred ones at that? So uh, immediately, Nehemiah runs into a ver- an ob- this, this next obstacle, and the guy's name was Sanballat and, and, and his uh, friend Tobiah, the Amorite. And so they do not want Jerusalem to be a problem in their future because they're controlling Palestine. And so on the outside, on the outside, they're mocking Nehemiah, but on the inside, they're trembling because they've heard the stories about the God of Israel. They remember the Exodus. They remember the days, the glory days and the power days of Jerusalem, and they don't want them to come to power. So they move from this ridicule to plots to murder Nehemiah and those that are working. Uh, and, and so this, they run into this obstacle of opposition. So from indifference and insufficiency, now we come to this third obstacle in the story, and that is opposition. Saying yes to God's will in your life means saying yes to opposition. If you decide to follow Jesus, anticipate temptation, being misunderstood. Anticipate betrayal. Anticipate standing against pop culture. If you take a stand with Jesus, you stand at odds with all the major media outlets. You do. You're going to stand at odds with them. If you follow Jesus, you're promised a cross. And this is where I say, aren't you glad you came? Because 
We don't want this. We don't go looking for it. But this is the fact that if we decide to follow Jesus, there's, there's, there's an opposition to follow us. Here's my witness. You know, we, we've experienced John's baptism today. I've witnessed where people, when they begin to make decisions for the Lord, maybe it's, maybe it's baptism, maybe it's just like a decision to, to do this and not do that. Opposition comes to them full force because Satan does not want anyone to, to follow Christ. His, we are his enemy. And so God creates, Satan destroys. The enemy wants to destroy your marriage, keep you sick and discouraged, pull you back into shame and past trauma, trip you up in confusion. Maybe your spouse acts annoyed at your newfound faith in Jesus, doesn't like it because it changes your party schedule, right? Uh, maybe a buddy gives you a hard time about quitting drinking or smoking or snorting or whatever it might be because they're mocking and real because your, your decision to follow Jesus brings conviction in their life. That's why they're doing that. Discouraging people make it difficult to endure. So I want to challenge each of us today. Before we leave this place, we encourage someone. And that encouragement just might be, hey, it's good to see you here today. Wow, that, that preacher went on a long time, but, but we endured. I don't know, you know, I mean, I don't know what your encouragement might be. But the point is that you and I, we all need encouragement. Sometimes we need it once a week. Sometimes we need it once a day. Sometimes we need it minute by minute. You know what I'm talking about. I mean, there's some really challenging things we go through. So I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to be an encourager today. The right word at the right time can make all the difference in the world. And we just need to be attuned to that. Um, let us think, the Hebrew writer says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of good love, or acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Think, oh, I love that expression, think of ways how to motivate one another. Think, how might I motivate? So it might be a card, it might be a text, it might be an email. It might be a phone call. It might be a gift. I had somebody walk up today and give me a, give me a gift. And it was just something that they saw and they thought I might like. I was like, man, he thought of me. Like, that was just really cool. You know, like, I don't know why the rest of you haven't done that, but I'm going to give you a chance to do. No, I'm just joking. Come on, we're not that kind of place, all right? All right, it's, it's not the Pope up here. All right, oh, sorry. Might have offended somebody right there. Well, all right, we're all offended. Okay, all right, <clears throat> so... So, but, you know, if we, if we meet together regularly, you're going to know what's going on in another person. At least a few people, like all of us have a circle of friends of four or five people. And, and if all of us had a circle of four or five people friends, like this church could be four or five hundred people of encouragement, right? We could be encouraging one another because we, we, we know that they're struggling through relationship issues or financial issues or health issues. And, and we just encourage one another. You don't have to fix it. God will fix it. You just have to let them know that God will fix it, right? And so, um, anyway, Nehemiah becomes, he becomes more determined. Sometimes when we face opposition, people get discouraged and they quit, like Austin and Marie came along and encouraged him. But sometimes people who face challenges get more determined, and Nehemiah gets more determined. I, I love this guy's grit, man. Uh, then as I looked over the situation, he writes in his prayer journal, I called together the nobles and the rest of the people and said to them, don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious. 
And fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Yeah! And the sword comes out, right? And that what you didn't you just get excited, right? Did he didn't you just see Braveheart, right? Maybe not. But you get it, you know what I mean? Like he's firing up his brethren. And, and I just love this speech. And he says, Our God will fight for us. So don't walk away discouraged. Don't give up. God's on our side. And, and so the threats make him more serious. And, 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 and Nehemiah, he decides like, hey, we need to defend our families. Now, in this passage of Scripture, both men and women should benefit from the principles that are laid out here. But I want to speak directly, just for a moment, to the men in the house. God has called men to be builders and protectors. That's who we are called to be. And men and women are different, and that's a good thing, right? Uh, and and, and so, so we have been called to be builders. Now, I know women can build. That's why I married my wife, because I saw when we were dating, she had a tool bag in the back of her CRV, and it had a cordless drill. And I was like, I think this might work out. And, and so... <laughs> And I know women are protectors. I've seen mom protect their, moms protect their children like, like nobody, right? Mama bear, right? We, we know story. But I'm telling you, men need, this is the time, men need to step up and protect and build. This is who we are. And so we're called to carry a trowel in one hand to do the work and a sword in the other to protect those who can't protect themselves. And so going to work does not earn us a holiday from responsibility, you can't fight for your marriage if you're hiding in your man cave. You can't lead your family in devotion if you're holding a TV remote. And you can't pray with your children if you've got a game controller in your hand. Like, we are to build faith in our kids and our family. We are to protect our family from evil. There's all kinds of evil that wants to destroy our relationships within our homes. We are called to build and protect. James 1.27, religion that that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. You know, I, there's just a lot out there that just wants to fill your mind full of yuckiness. Don't let it come in. Keep it out. It will destroy you. Choose to focus in on things that are good and noble, right? All right, anyway... Uh, the time is to build and protect. Now, the following story that you're about to watch and listen to illustrates that God is greater than the obstacles that we face, and He has called us to a race, one that is noble, one that has purpose, one that is life-giving. Hello, my name is Nicholas Morris. I'm Amy Morris. And we are here in Chatham, Virginia and members of Cornerstone Church. Uh, we've been here for almost working on two years now. Came from a varied career in the military and traveling around the world to minister at Hargrave and the local school system. Uh, Pastor Bob asked us to kind of talk about you know, our background. It's a little different than most in this community where most people are set and established in Chatham, Virginia. We have spent 32 years traveling around the world uh, with the Marine Corps before we ended up here and it's a unique story about how not to give up as you follow God's calling. There's somewhere along that way of all the challenges growing up in, and then um, 
as we started our adventures in life. I can't tell you the magic moment, but I just realized that um, as John tells us, there is no fear when you walk in God's love. I just accepted that. Uh, I did not, you know, nice thing about being a Marine is I'm not supposed to be real smart. I'm just supposed to take orders well. And so when he says, there is no fear in perfect love, I, will, I accepted it and went. They get out to Hawaii. We're out there in Hawaii for probably three weeks. Four weeks max, and then I came in there and said, hey, by the way, I'm going to Iraq for a year. Uh, but it was a hard, I mean, a year. It turned out to be 14 months. It's a long time. Uh, you know, car bombs, IEDs, all the good stuff, rockets, attacks. Um, every time you go, you don't know who your friend is. I was not, I never was in a position of fear and all that. Um, but I was, at that time, we're talking about uh, 2007, 2008, so the surge was in grand effect and we were, our Marines and soldiers were being hit daily, uh, attacked daily and hit with bombs. And so I was, as uh, one of the senior Marines in our area, every time a Marine came through the trauma unit, I would go visit him. And I'll tell you that, I cannot tell you the number of Marines. I wish I could remember their names. But just being able to, you know, pray over them, sit with them, uh, just, you know, just bring that peace to be surrounded by, you know, God's love. Uh, even when most of those young men, all we were doing were, you know, keep them alive so we get to their parents in Germany. Uh, but it was, yeah, that was a, that was a long, hard, hard year. Again, to me, it wasn't um, hard in the sense that I'd never do it again. If I was called again, by golly, we'd go. But I mean, when you reflect on it, you know, there were nights I'd sit there and go, "All right, Lord, what in the world are we doing here? Why are we working for these people that don't seem to understand the greatness of democracy and to make their own choices? And how do we get there?" And uh, you know, just His calming presence would come and just, "Hey, just trust me." Just, I, I've, I've given you the tools. You know, I've surrounded you with great people. Just trust me. You know, walk in my love and wisdom every day and we'll get there. And really uh, was another one of those things where you go, all right, God, what do you have in store for us? Because I had all the um, wickets and checklists to move on to the next level. And the Marine Corps, for whatever reason, decided, and, and for at that level, it's a school. So you go to get selected for a higher level school. And the Marine Corps, for whatever reason, decided that, um, you know, again, they, I was good in combat, but they decided they didn't need me in uh, that school. Now, I could still do that school by um, distance learning correspondence, uh, but it was kind of a, there was a brief moment in a day of just being kind of frustrated about going, why? Because we just yeah. kind of expected it. It was, he had done all these things, he checked all the boxes. Well, of course you're going to school. Yeah. One day I walked out of the uh, state lawyer's office and God's plan came out of the blue. And I get a call from a friend up in uh, Washington, D.C. He's like, I have a job for you. I'm like, sir, I'm not looking for a job. He goes, well, you didn't listen to me there, Marine. I have a job for you. I'm like, sir, you didn't hear me. I'm retired and you can't tell me what to do. And my call sign aviation is buzzing. He's like, dadgummit, buzz. He said, do me a favor. He said, there's, a, there's an old a retired colonel in... Chatham, Virginia at a boys school and he needs you. He doesn't know it's you, but he needs you. 
I'm like, all right, sir, you're a friend and mentor of mine. I will call him. Kept on here and saw the calling and the purpose, uh, and I ended up at Hargrave. And it is, it's a God calling thing. Um, we can often, as we talk about the race and use the analogy, um, you know, it, you can set your own race and try to compete in this world, and you'll run hard, but you'll be very frustrated uh, at what's at the end. And you'll also be frustrated that you're running against everybody else. When you run the race with God, like Paul says, um, our mindset has to change because instead of running, to me, instead of running towards God, I'm running with Him. You know, the amazing part is don't ever doubt what your path is, what your race is. Um, be excited about the fact that you're in it, even when it seems tough. Realize God is with you. I love, you know, when we try to figure out what our purpose is, I always go back to Ephesians 2.10 that just says you are wonderfully made. And you can't be wonderfully made and not have a purpose. <laughs> we have not given up. That's the tagline. That's the tagline. <laughs> <laughs>
Give us the confidence to keep going. Help us to encourage those that are giving up. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us. You can find us on the web at cornerstonechatham.org.